we've been looking at what it means to help one another follow Jesus together. Yeah, that's what it's all about. It's all about following Jesus, following that light that goes ahead of us that Alison was talking about. Following Jesus and doing it together. And we've looked at different aspects of that. Um, and that, I, I talk to people about it and, uh, you know, from time to time I have conversations, different aspects of it. And just a few weeks ago, I, I sat down, maybe a couple of months ago, I sat down with Richard Rathod and was just talking about it. And he used this phrase, he talked about the posture of the apprentice. The posture of the apprentice. You see, another word for a disciple or a follower is an apprentice. Is somebody who's learning the ways of Jesus and how to follow them. But what's so important as we do that is that we, we have this attitude of heart, this posture of the apprentice. A few weeks ago, I talked about leadership. Difficult thing to talk about. This is not just about leadership. It, it applies to that. But actually, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, it's, in fact, we've talked about being filled and touched with the Spirit. One of the ways to do that, Ephesians 5 tells us, is by submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, you can only do that if you've got the heart and the posture of an apprentice. So I said to Richard when he mentioned that phrase, I think you've got a word for us on that, that the church needs to hear, the posture of the apprentice. So Rich, I, Richard has been in my hub and has done a great job of sharing things and insights that he has been really blessed us all in, in the hub. You know, he's got his own hub now. But this is his first time of speaking on a Sunday morning, preaching the word of God to us. So I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're all going to want to really encourage him as he comes to talk to us about the posture of the apprentice. So let's all bless and encourage Richard as he comes to talk. Thanks, Richard. Woo! Go for it, Richard. Yeah! That's a pretty warm welcome. Wow. Right, everyone, just do me a favor, right, because I'm a bit nervous. So, just take a deep breath for me through your nose. And then breathe out. One more time for me. Thanks, I feel better now. Um, so yeah, I'm talking about the posture of an apprentice today. And if you haven't figured it out by now, I'm talking about apprenticeship to Jesus. Hopefully that was obvious. Um, so the thing about posture is, when we do it wrong, when we have a bit of a, a dodgy posture, when we hold ourselves a bit awkwardly, we cause pain to ourselves. We get, we get, we get injuries, we break things. We, you know, if you do sport and you have an incorrect posture, you're much more likely to hurt yourself doing it. Um, so that's why posture is really, really important. Often it's the small things that make a huge difference. And as Trevor was saying, we've been in the rhythm recently of following Jesus together. And right at the beginning of this season, we used um, sort of a, a three-step process. I know that's a, that's a challenging way to put it, but that's the way I'm putting it. Um, of being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. So if I, was, if, if I was to put what I'm bringing today into one of those categories, I think it's kind of in all of them, but it's probably more the second one. It's probably more becoming like Jesus. Because Jesus demonstrated for us what the posture of an apprentice is. And he showed us how to do it. It's a practical thing. 
But having said that, what I'm going to talk about today is more the intangibles of that. And what I mean by the intangibles is when you're doing things, when you're acting out your apprenticeship, what's going on in your mind, in your body, and in your soul? So the point of an apprenticeship is usually to learn something, learn a skill or a trade, um, preferably from somebody that knows how to do it. Um, although, who knows? Um, and so what are we learning from Jesus? What's the point of an apprenticeship to Jesus? And I'm going to draw on, I don't have time to put it fully into context, um, but I'm just drawing on John 10.10. 10. When Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So for me, Jesus is the master of life. And that's what we're learning in an apprenticeship to Jesus. We're learning how to have life and have it to the full. We're learning how to live a good life. Or in other words, the one true way of life. That's what Jesus is trying to teach us. And that's what the apprenticeship is all about. Copious notes. Um, so in as, a, as, a, as an aside, um, usually in an apprenticeship, you have to do a course beforehand. You have to kind of prove yourself in some way. Get a qualification or prove yourself to um, the master the person that knows, the person that's going to teach it. I just think it says something, and, and it, we've heard it today already, of the grace of Jesus, that we don't have to prove ourselves worthy of an apprenticeship. Yes. He comes and chooses us. Yes. If, you, if you start reading the Gospels, which are the, you know, the, the sort of the life and times of Jesus and his ministry, what you'll see over and over again is him actually approaching the disciples or his apprentices and saying, hey, come follow me. Come follow me. Let me teach you how to live. Let me teach you how to truly live. Okay, so the first thing I came up with when I was, when I was meditating on what do we need, what kind of posture do we need to be an apprentice? The first thing I came up with, with was openness. Okay, so I'm going to draw on something. It's the first book in the New Testament. It's Matthew. Um, hopefully you guys can pull it up for me. It's Matthew 13, 3 to 9. You can, you can look at it in your Bible if you want to, but it's not, it's not massively important. So I'm just going to read it to you. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell up on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Hopefully I read that slow enough. Katie would give me firm instructions to read that slow. Um, so I just want to point out, if, if you're a bit confused at that, 
that's cool, because I was kind of going from that. There was more, much more clear verses I could have picked to, to do this, but I deliberately picked one that, that takes a while. You have, to chew this, you have to chew this passage over, and I want to encourage you throughout the week to, to just chew this over, because the posture of openness isn't as simple as it first seems. It's actually really difficult. And it was actually customary for first century rabbis. If you ever asked them a question, they'd go, well, once upon a time, and then they'd walk off and leave you to deal, leave you to chew on that. So that's what I'm doing. Um, a, bit, a bit further down, so in Matthew 13, 15, he talks about how difficult the, the, the posture of openness can actually be because sometimes we adopt a, a posture of being closed off. Ali was just talking about repentance. Repentance for me is a posture because it involves turning around. And sometimes we get so tight. Sometimes it's because we get anxious. If you've ever seen anybody who's, who's clearly anxious, you're probably looking at one now. Um, <laughs> they, they become tight. You know, my palms are sweaty. I want to play with my wedding ring and, and I don't know what to do with my hands. It's the posture of being closed off. It's really, really hard to explain to someone who's anxious anything. You know, have you ever tried to tell someone who's anxious to calm down? <laughs> Even though that's the obvious thing that everybody knows that needs to happen. They're not able to hear it. They don't have the posture right now to be able to hear what you're saying. You know, there's another posture, um, and it's a difficult one. It's pride. Um, we start to believe we know best. And we kind of, in this kind of upper northern western part of the world, which don't make sense because the earth's round, but anyway, um, I think... <laughs> um, we kind of have this thing of the individual don't we like I, I know lots of my uh, contemporary millennials I don't know if any are in the house one we've got one yes um, we have this thing of not being a joiner not being a joiner you do your thing I'll do my thing I'm not, I'm not joining in I have this posture where I might have dip a toe in as long as there's free cake um, but if there's not, then I'm out. You know, or sometimes, so most of my work, I'm a therapist. That's what I do throughout the day. I'm a therapist in a rehab. And I spend a lot of my time working with resentment. And what resentment is, it's another word for pride. And that's really tough to hear, I know, because stuff happens in life and it's not fair, it's not right. It's not justified. And so when it hurts us, we want to hold on to that because it's not fair. I shouldn't have to let go of this. And this is where the pride element comes in. God says, I know it's not fair. I know it's not right. But I'm a just God. Trust me. Trust me. Give it to me. Let go. Resentment is like poison. It really, really is. Once it gets in there, you adopt an posture where you close off and you become unable to hear anything. It really, really is. Okay, so another thing on openness. Um, N.T. Wright, some of you might have heard of him. He's sort of like the preeminent New Testament scholar at the minute. He has a, he has a wicked podcast. Um, 
So his main area of expertise is Paul, and he wrote a book called uh, A Biography of Paul. And he mused that what Paul was doing, Paul was an apprentice of Jesus. Um, have a look at the book of Acts after this as well. Sorry, I give reading this. It's just what I do. Um, so Acts 9 particularly, that's the road to Damascus. Some of you might have heard of it. Sometimes it's you know, people that haven't even read the Bible. Often people talk about having a road to Damascus moment. So N.T. Wright probably knows the mind of Paul better than just about anybody. He spent his, dedicated his entire life researching Paul. And he has the assumption, it's a pretty good assumption, that what Paul is doing while he's riding on the road to Damascus, bear in mind he's on his way to persecute Christians, is he's meditating on scripture. This was a normal thing for, you know, Paul was actually a Pharisee. So it was actually a normal thing for Pharisees to do to just meditate on scripture. Just say it over and over again in your head and just kind of lose yourself in scripture. Lose yourself in the story of scripture. And what Paul was doing, I think he was an adopting a posture of openness. Even though he had it all wrong at that point. He had lots of things mixed up. I wouldn't say he had it all wrong, but he had, lots, he had some pretty key elements wrong. Um, by meditating on scripture, he was opening himself up. And because he had that posture, Jesus met him and broke through in, an in a pretty incredible way. Yeah. One last thing on openness before I move on. Um, don't let cynicism get in the way of your apprenticeship. I'm just going to read a quote from Dallas Willard. Some of you might have heard of Dallas Willard. He's a philosopher. Um, yeah, look him up if it's your thing. If philosophy is your thing, seriously. Dallas Willard. Um, so this is what he says. We live in a culture that has for centuries now cultivated the idea that the sceptical person is always smarter than the one who believes. You can almost be as stupid as a cabbage as long as you doubt. Doesn't that just kind of sound like when you're in, those, when you're in your workplaces, when you're at school, when you're, and like people start talking about faith, why is it the cynical person that everyone presumes is the one that sounds clever? It's not true. It's not true. Okay, I'm moving on from openness. It's hard for me to do moving on. The next posture is humility. Yeah, so we're open. We also need to be humble. So as part of my sort of researching to, to bring this word to you, I came across St. Benedict. I came across his rules for living. St. Benedict was, uh, he pretty much started monasteries the way we understand them. He was sort of in the sixth century. He was kind of reacting against Christianity, becoming a bit Romanized. Um, a bit too um, in with the culture rather than separate, and, and his, his solution was monasteries. But he had this idea about humility. And he described humility as being a ladder. And every time you put somebody's need above your own, you climb up the ladder. And by putting other people first, you're actually climbing up the ladder. So it's not what, you know... It's not what sort of this northern, western part of the world of, you know, dog eat dog, get out of my way, I'm getting to the ladder above you. It's actually, no, you go first. Your need before mine. And as we do that, we climb up the ladder. 
funny, St. Benedict, who was a very clever man, and he noticed that when we do this, so anyone ever done this where you hold a door for someone and you think, oh, I'm pretty, I'm pretty chivalrous, I? I'm pretty, I'm pretty humble right now. Um, the soon as you, uh, St. Benedict used to say that whenever you realise that you're actually climbing up the ladder, whenever you become conscious of it, you fall off it. Yeah. <laughs> and you end up back at the bottom. This is how difficult it is, you know. Or as C.S. Lewis, the guy that wrote The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, he had a famous quote that said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And, you know, try it. Try it for a week. See what happens. The second you start to try and do this and try and adopt the posture of humility, maybe you're not like, maybe you're more spiritually enlightened than I am, but I don't know. What happens for me is my ego rises up in me and it fights with me and wrestles with me. If I put everyone's needs before my own, what about my needs? Did that person not notice what I just did for them? I was really cool then. I just listened and I didn't chip in when I really, really, really wanted to. Is anyone noticing? (laughs) Back at the bottom of the ladder, Richard. I think I want to make this point because we've been doing it today and and we're in the rhythm of following Jesus together and humility is a really good place to bring in the posture of the fact that we're doing this together. To have life and life to its full, that's the main point here. That's what we're learning in our apprenticeship. Life and life to its full. You can't do that on your own. It's not possible. It's not on the table. It can't be just you and Jesus. Trust me, I've tried. It doesn't work. We have to do it together. You know, it's a, it's a point of vulnerability, actually, I think. It, it, well, it was for me, certainly, and, and the context of which I grew up. To, it, it hit me, actually, maybe a month or two ago, maybe a bit longer, when I kind of, I was, I was in this room worshipping, and I was looking around, looking at people worshipping with me, and I just thought, I need you. I really need you. I really actually need you. I can't do this on my own. I can't, I'd, you know, I'd find it really hard to go back to sitting in my living room, put some worship songs on. and, and I, I can't. I need you. I need to be with you. But here's another thing. I might be in danger of falling off the ladder here. I think you need me. I think we're all one body. I play a vital role in that body. But so do you, so does every single person here. We all play a vital role in that body. We can't do it on our own. We need each other. Yeah? Let's do, let's do this cringy thing. I'm going to try it's first time preaching. Let's see how it goes. Turn to the person next to you. Say, I need you. Then, then turn to them again and say, and you need me. Awesome. Well done, guys. We've all just admitted that we need each other. Cool. So that's a big part of, that's a big part of humility. It's realizing that maybe you don't have it all together. Maybe you can't do this on your own. Maybe you don't always know what's best. That's a tough one to swallow sometimes, isn't it? Oh, how are we doing? Still there? Still with me? 
Good, because I'm about to lose you. Um, <laughs> because the next posture, so we're open, we're humble. The next one is faithful obedience. This is a tough one. And if I'm, if I'm actually honest with you, I prayed and almost begged God to give me another word. Please don't let my first time doing this, don't let me talk about obedience. But I couldn't get away with it. It just kept coming back and back and back. And so I, I just want to, I just want to, I came across a story. It was in a book called Chicken Soup for the Soul. Pretty cool book. Um, it was the story of Florence Chadwick. Now, you might not have heard of Florence Chadwick, but she was one of the first women to ever swim the channel both ways. She's a really, really strong swimmer. Um, and she, she set herself this new challenge, which was to go from uh, Catalina Island, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right, to the Californian coast. Apparently, it's a, it's a notoriously difficult sea to swim through. But she wanted to do it, and she believed in herself. She believed in herself that she could do it. And so she planned the date. And when she came to do it, just by circumstance, it was really foggy that day. It was really, really foggy. And she couldn't see more than a couple of meters, if that, in front of her. So she had support ropes around her. That's what generally happens when you, when you swim in the sea. And her mum and, and her coach were in, the, were in the support boat. And they knew, they had maps, so they kind of knew where they were. But Florence didn't know, because the fog was just around. All she had to do was just keep swimming. She just kept swimming. But because the fog was so dense and she became tired, she got fatigued, she started to lose hope. And she started to lose faith in herself. And her coach and her mum tried encouraging her as best they could because they knew she was nearly there. She was less than half a mile away. She had it in her. Her coach believed in her. Her mum believed in her. But Florence, through, through fatigue, an inability to see for herself the shore, lost faith in herself. And eventually she asked to be pulled into the support boat and she was actually only maybe 1,500 metres away from the coast. And in the interview after, she said, the, only, the reason that I failed today was that I lost faith. When I lost faith in myself, I couldn't do it. If I could have seen the coast, I would have made it. This is the point of obedience. If she could have believed in a coach, she admitted this herself, this is not me picking holes in her, because I've been in this position myself. If she could have believed and had faith and be faithfully obedient to her coach and her mum in that moment, and just, I know it's really tough, I know it really hurts right now, and I know everything in you is screaming at you to give up. Give up. It's over, come on. But somebody, maybe in a position of, of leadership with her, just said, you can do this. I believe in you. I know it's really tough right now, but stick with me. Stick with me. You can do this. She would have made it. She retrained and actually went back and, and managed to do it. She did it on a clear day. Um, but she recognised in herself that if she could have listened to herself, she was so self-sufficient. She was such a strong woman. But when she lost faith in herself... She couldn't receive it from other people. This is, what the, this is what I mean by faithful obedience. You know, I'm going to tell you a little, a bit of vulnerability here. You know, I'm a millennial. It's what we do. Um, so, 
A couple of weeks ago, Ali asked me to do the youth. Well, she sent a text to me and Katie, and I just assumed it was for Katie. I ignored it the first time I saw it. <laughs> and then Katie said, oh, I don't know if I can manage Eden and do this. And then I thought, well, I'm not doing it. <laughs> and because I, I actually scoffed, I'll admit it, that's my vulnerability. Because I scoffed, then I'd, I'd, maybe it was the Holy Spirit, I don't know, I just felt this, oh, I've got to do it, haven't I? I've got to do it. I have to face the possibility of being in a room on my own full of teenagers. <laughs> Terrifying. And I didn't believe I had anything to offer. I'll be honest, the first thought was the reason I scoffed is I didn't believe I had anything to offer. I didn't believe I was, I was a good person to, to, to do youth that week. But Ali thought I was. And because Ali thought I was, I did it. And I think it went all right. Did it go all right, Joel? Yeah, yeah. Cool. Sometimes when you can't believe in yourself, you need somebody else to believe in you for you. And if you are faithfully obedient to that person, you'll see it through. Swim through the fog. You'll get there. You know, sometimes, um, I think we have some pretty cool leaders in this. We have some pretty awesome leaders in this church. And I feel like I can say this because I'm not one of them. I'm, this is coming, they're apprentices too, but I'm an apprentice also. They just have the gift of leadership. Sometimes it's like, you know, if you're rowing, um, you have a cox, the guy, that, the guy that sits at the back of the boat that can see where you're going. That doesn't mean necessarily that he's got this wicked cool personality or she's got this wicked cool personality. It just means that that person has a particular gifting that they're, they're situated, they have the posture where they can actually see what's going on. It's not because they're super spiritually advanced. It's not because they're, they've got some qualification or anything like that. It's just because God, by grace, has given them a gift that has situated them in a position where they can see what's going on. And, the, and I might be the one that's rowing. It's really important that I do that job because if I don't row, we're not going anywhere. Like I've just said, we're all just admitted. We're all vital parts of this body. And my role is just as important as everyone else's. And your role is just as important as everyone else's. But from where I'm sitting, from my, from my gifting, I not, might not be able to see something that somebody else can. And that's why we need obedience. Yeah? So, another point. In our apprenticeship, we can do this thing where if we don't have faithful obedience, we can do this thing where we kind of know lots of stuff. I think I did this for months the first time I walked through this door. Is that I, could, I learned loads, all head knowledge. I learned it really, really quickly. And I could even like give, give answers to, to certain questions and things like that. But I, it took me a while probably longer than most, to let it sink in, to let it really sink in to my, to my body and my mind and my soul. And when it started to sink in, it, it changed my posture. It came from it all being book knowledge and it all being head knowledge, and I can keep it away, keep it over there somewhere and treat it as subject matter. It sank in. I started to become obedient to what I was learning. You know, if you think about a recipe... You could know a recipe off by heart, but if you don't follow it, you're not going to get anywhere, are you? Yeah? 
It's just another way of saying we need to adopt a posture of obedience in our apprenticeship to Jesus. Yeah, if we want life and life to its full, we need obedience to him. Okay. So I'm just going to re- read something from... How am I doing for time? Okay. Um, I'm just going to read something from what St. Benedict said on humility, because, you know, he's, he's a guy. Um, they should each try to be the first to show respect to the other, supporting with the greatest patience of one another's weaknesses, our body, our actions, and earnestly competing in obedience to one another. No one is to pursue what he judges better for himself, but instead what he judges better for someone else. To their their fellow monks, they they show the pure love of brothers. That's what obedience is. It's the pure love of brothers and sisters in Christ. I think Paul's going to explain this a little bit better. If we could bring 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 17 up. I'm just going to read it. So, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from who you learnt it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that every servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the reason I picked this letter was not necessarily because of the words in it, it's because of the the context of which Paul was writing this letter. So this is probably the last letter that Paul ever wrote. He was on trial, he was on house arrest at the moment, it wasn't going well, he was probably knew that his time was nearly up. And Timothy had been someone who was apprenticing under him for a while, and this is kind of a passing of the torch kind of moment for Paul. And he does brilliantly, in just those small words, he kind of holds together the authority of Jesus, the master in which we're apprenticing under. Also the authority of scripture, in which we also need to obedient to. But he does this because he, Paul knew better than most that we're relational people. We learn through others. Do you know, instantly, interesting, the psychological fact, because we're all in a room together, you probably have 10 more IQ points than you would have if you were on your own. So that's, a, that's an actual fact. So we actually, become, we actually are better together. We're smarter together. That's a fact. Paul knows, when he's, when, just on that, you know those from who you learn it. That's really important for me, especially when it comes to obedience. Because I'm not talking about obedience in the, just do what I say, without any relational context. That's not going to work. Maybe we've tried that in the past if we look at church history. It doesn't go well. Where obedience comes in is when it's faithful obedience. When it's faithful, you know me. You know our leaders. You know their heart. Maybe that means you can be obedient to them even when you can't see it for yourself. Yeah? Okay, so that's it. That's the posture. That's the posture of an apprentice. Open, humble, and faithfully obedient. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Should we pray?
Sounds like a good moment to pray, doesn't it? Father God, thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, to come as the master of life, to teach us how to live life and have life and have it to the full. Help us in our apprenticeship. Help us be open. Help us be humble. And help us be faithfully obedient to you so that we all may have life and life to the full. Amen. 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 Amen.